Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to contribute, please go to our Patreon page at Everything That's Weird. Check us out on Instagram at Everything That's Weird or Twitter at ETWPod. Or if you'd like to send us an old-fashioned email, go to everythingthat'sweird at gmail.com. Welcome to the podcast, Everything That Is Weird. We are Anthony and Brandon. Tonight, we are talking about the Oklahoma City bombing and whether or not there was a greater conspiracy and possibly a connection to Al-Qaeda. <laughs> now we're going to get labeled as Islamophobes. This will be our last episode. Yeah, but honestly, we started. We, I mean, we just had briefly talked about, but there, there's like so many different directions. Yeah, a lot of them. Everybody's got a way they want to take the kind of the conspiracy, I guess you could call it. Some of the stuff is based on, you know, pretty substantial evidence. So, yeah, we'll get into it. But there's trials. There's actual trials of people that. Um, and actual, unlike unlike like the nine eleven conspiracies, these are more like FBI agents saying things. And mm-hmm. um, but we'll get it. We'll get it all into that. So like um, mm-hmm. April nineteenth, nineteen ninety five, we were seniors in high school. Yep. Yeah, and I remember. I remember this happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because remember live that band live. Yeah, well, yeah. I, they had a song. Yeah. Remember? Yep. I See, and, now I had, I, I was going to say, I, I remember, um, I remember, like, because, like, right when it happened, it was a, a terrorist attack. You know, it was a foreign right. entity. They were, it was an Islamic extremist. Immediately, it was an Islamic extremist group. And then it's like, it seemed like it was like, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, it was like, oh, it's just some a white guy? guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and it was, it, you know, to put it in context, it was right after the first bombing, well, the, I guess, the bombing of the World Trade Center, I guess it was. Yeah, in 93, yeah, a few years earlier. Right. Which I barely remember that, I mean. I barely remember that, too. I felt like that was, um, it was in the news, but it wasn't, like, hyped. Like, yeah, they didn't make, like, a big, huge deal out of it. Right. It was there. Mm-hmm. But like I think people are just like, oh yeah, they're still Islamic terrorists, you know? Right. I remember that it happened, but it like yeah, like you said, it wasn't like a point of interest. Nobody was hammering at home. But this was like in your face because yeah. they blew this a, a whole federal building, the yeah. the Alf, the Alfred P Murrah building, federal mm-hmm. building in Oklahoma City. Um, a rider truck driven by Timothy McVeigh pulls up in the front of the parks in the front of the building and just blows the shit out of the front of the building. Yeah, it's like right? half the building just come, just went down. And there's a daycare on the first floor. It's full of all kinds of different government agencies and mm-hmm. it's just like on your face in the news, people bleeding, mm-hmm. people, you know, you can see them carrying bodies. There's people that are Look like they've been in a war zone. They're shell shocked. I what mean, was it? 160. Super, I mean, was it 161 dead or 168? I believe 168. Right? Yeah. Um, and 
it was just really in your face the graphic nature of what had happened and rightfully so i mean it was it was horrible right yeah, but, yeah. but so this this happens and you're right right away they're like well this middle eastern extremist that you know did this and sort of like two days later they're yeah. like timothy mcveigh yeah this white guy and, and this like, other white guy like what and tim and terry right yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you're like i thought it was middle eastern extremists it's just like two like white guys yeah well here then they start getting into the story of like who these guys are so timothy mcveigh and terry nichols were in the army together mm-hmm. and a little background on timothy mcveigh he in his early life i don't really think it's important but his, he his parents were divorced uh he he did have a sister he had two sisters um they were kind of like split up their family kind of split up he grew up with his dad um he kind of got into guns from his grandpa because his grandpa had guns yeah. he kind of took a liking to that after high school he joins the military he like excels in the military this is where he meets terry nichols um and then he goes to Iraq and he's sort of like, I don't know, this is a terrible way to say it, but like he's a hero because he well, decap- he was a bronze star. Well, he, he decapitates a guy with the, with the tank. Mm-hmm. So he fires a shell and he's known like right off the bat. It's like, is his first day in battle? Right. <laughs> yeah. He decapitates an Iraqi <laughs> soldier, um, with, you know, a, a tank projectile <laughs> which is crazy clean shot buddy right right so he is um you know he is yeah all, well, right all before American. he went like his big uh like his big goal and they they really handle it's you have to sift through the the um overproduction on the news reports because they they what they do is they take it and they want to make this guy that were like he loved guns you know right right so they they hammered the gun thing real hard and it was just kind of like i know a lot of people that love guns and that doesn't make them a bomber but yeah. but they they but one of the things that they were talking about was that he like you said he excelled when he went into the military and that he wanted to join special forces he wanted to become a green beret he was in the army and uh i guess he was uh, able to go try out for special forces, but then he got shipped to Iraq before he could. Right. And he went to Iraq and he went, you know, and he saw actual combat. Like we said, he had these actual bronze star recipient. They even during, I think during his trial, they, the military rushed and gave him like, there was like two commendations that he received, I think while he was on trial. Yeah. I I, I heard that. I I heard that in one of the videos I watched. Right. So they, they, <laughs> they, they gave him his uh, accommodations or whatever. But when he came back from Iraq, they gave him that opportunity to become a Green Beret again. So he went to go try out for the Green Beret. And that's where you get a little bit of shift in stories, depending on who you ask on what really happened to right. Timothy McVeigh when he so- came back and tried out for Special Forces. So before he even is it right before he goes in the military, he hacked into with a Commodore sixty four computer. Did you read? No, I did not. Okay, he hacked into some government database. 
<laughs> and yeah, so he was really smart. Like he was he was a really smart guy that understood like different systems and you know that's why the military he excelled so much but yes you're right when he's in Iraq you know he's all about he's all about it and then he kind of gets like this bad taste in his mouth because he sees you know kind of the destruction of war and one of the things he saw is called the highway of death and for anybody that doesn't know about that so after World War II, they redrew the Middle Eastern boundaries, and Saddam Hussein always claimed that Kuwait was part of Iraq. Right. And there's there's like reports that he talked to then Secretary of State James Baker and said, you know, Kuwait's ours. And Baker's like, yeah, I don't care. Do you take it? Well, then when he took it, you know, we kind of went to war with him. Yeah. And he felt like betrayed about that. So he left. And when he left, when he left Kuwait, the all all the people that had gone there were coming back. But they were coming back on this highway, which was like 75. It's like or, or the 10. It's like a big highway. Right? And there's no actual death toll. Like there's all kinds of it, it's as high. I've seen it as high as sixty thousand, and as low as two thousand. But basically, we went through and bombed everybody going back into Iraq on this highway. And he saw this firsthand, and he kind of got this into his head that we weren't really any better than than them. Than them, right? So then. So you're right. He comes. So he's kind of. He's kind of like this. And the, they, this is the narrative that the news kind of builds up. So he's in the desert, and he goes. He comes back, and he's back not very long, like a week, and gets put into this special green beret. Yeah. Well, he train. he while he was over there, did he? Um, wasn't he on guard detail for? Um, uh, to just say his name, the general uh, Schwarzkopf. Schwarzkopf. He, so he was, yeah, he was one of his direct, like, security guards, basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, you don't just get that. Right. They don't, like, Gomer Pyle doesn't get. <laughs> he washes the tank. Yeah, right. <laughs> they don't, like, let him guard the general. He sings so, on the weekends. <laughs> right. So, um, so he comes back and when he goes through like green beret training, he's like fresh out of the desert and he sort of washes out because he's, yeah, he was beat down from, he was beat down from from war. war, Right. And he, he writes this resignation letter and in this res, and this is in 91 in this resignation letter, he writes that, you know, it's just the timing's bad. And, you know, physically and mentally, he's unable to do it at this time. So that's kind of the narrative that the news runs with. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of the reason for this podcast, because there's sort of like there's there's several different stories. But the news kind of like the central news 
They were using narrative. his washout as right. an excuse. Like he to had be a, angry with the military. Like it totally, was their like fault. it's his first failure. Mm-hmm. Um. So then, he kind of goes on this like nomadic. He kind of becomes like a nomad where he's just kind of wandering around, <laughs> and mm-hmm. he's visiting friends, and he ends up at Ruby Ridge. Now, do you remember Ruby Ridge? Yeah. I remember Ruby Ridge too. So Ruby Ridge, um, it's what's his first name? Weaver. Mm-hmm. Randy Weaver. So Randy yeah. Weaver is he is um, he goes to sell he goes to this gun show to sell shotguns, and he ends up selling shotguns to this undercover agent. And this undercover agent's like, you know what I really need is, like, some sold-off shotguns. And he's like, yeah, I don't really do that. And he's like, come on, man. And he keeps pestering him about it. So, Randy Weaver finally ends up, he's like, fuck it, he's fine, here. Saws off, you know, grinds off the nose. Gives, sells it to the guy. And then he gets arrested, because this guy's, like, an undercover agent. <laughs> right. So he's like, well, that's bullshit, right? Yeah. So he has a court date and he jumps bail. Well, they come after him. But when they come after him, they don't just send like a bounty hunter. Yeah. They come after him with like tanks. Yeah. Siege weapons, man. Yeah. Like a SEAL team type of like a special ops team. Mm -hmm. And they set up camp at the bottom of this, at the bottom of this mountain. And he had... He had moved there with his family, kind of to get off the grid. So him, his son, and like a family friend are out because they hear the dog barking. His wife, his newborn baby, and his daughter are in the house. Mm-hmm. The wife, um, the son, is hears the dog. He's going after the dog, and when he comes up and here's where it gets like cloudy, either the special ops guy shoots the son. Or the son shoots the special ops guy, and that starts a fucking firefight. So yeah. they're just like everybody's shooting at each other, right? And when he, they make their way, they're making their way back to the cabin. The special forces guys kind of retreat back down the hill, and on their way back into the cabin, a sniper trying to shoot Randy Weaver fires and shoots. His, his wife. wife and the baby. Yeah. So this guy just lost his wife, his baby, and his son. Yeah. All in like, you know, a few minutes. Right. So Timothy McVeigh was actually there for that. Mm-hmm. And he was, so he witnessed this like firsthand. And there was, there was like protesters like, hey, you know. Oh, go after the little guy type of type of thing. He also right. was at Waco when the siege at Waco happened. Yep. And you know, Waco, I remember that happening too. We yeah, were, was, I guess that, we, we made were, that a big, huge deal. That was were we freshmen, maybe. Yeah, somewhere around there. Okay, so yeah, so like, so when that happened, and I remember, I remember. You know, I was younger then, thinking, oh, that guy's crazy, you know. But, you know, like, the older I get and the more I learn about it, kind of messed up. 
yeah. what, ha- what happened. Yeah. And, and, you know, at the end of it, you know, they, they end up setting the place, whatever. Either they set the place on fire or the place catches on fire. And yeah, 80, they definitely 80, set that place on fire. Yeah. 80 women and children die, you know. Yeah. So, a tragedy. They, at the end of it, they, ra- they actually raised an ATF flag on the flagpole of the Camp Davidian like compound. Jesus. Which is crazy. Like it that that's just it's mind boggling when you think about it. Like why are you at war against them? You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, Timothy McVeigh, he he sees this. And again, this is kind of like the narrative that like the the mainstream news is like kind of fed everybody. And this like puts him into a place where he's in a bad spot and he starts mingling with old friends and he comes you know terry nichols and they start kind of like getting a plan together because he wants to like overthrow the government or at least at least like make a dent and what the government's doing. Yeah, and this is where they say that he may have come in contact with uh, Lewis Beam, who was a white nationalist and, you know, uh, cross off all the hate groups he was part of. And, you know, so... Yeah. But he... And and this guy was, like, known for saying crazy, over-the-top shit, like, we're going to assume authority of this country and all that shit, so... So they they started making all these ties to white nationalists and white supremacist groups and shit like that. So he goes and meets with. Um, so in during this time, him and Nichols are trying to like accumulate ammonium nitrate because what they were big on the Turner Diaries, which I've never read. I, I, I know of it. It's like the anarchist cookbook. I know of it. I've never actually right. seen. It. I'm kind of afraid. To... <laughs> <laughs> some some FBI computers like hey. <laughs> Alexa, <laughs> order, order the Turner Diaries. Then my door gets kicked in. Right. Um. So anyway, um, they're they're like accumulating you know, this ammonium nitrate because they believe that it's sooner or later going to be outlawed by, you know, the government. Um, so it's around this time that he goes and meets his friend, Michael Fortier, and he is kind of showing him and we'll get back into him later, but he's kind of, he, he reveals this plan that they're going to try to, do this and 48 really doesn't want to do it he's like kind of no you know I'm not I'm not into that and that's kind of where it ends with him but we'll get back to him so there he they accumulate this and he builds a bomb with diesel fuel and ammonium nitrate and these and wicks and none like detonators but they have like wicks like actual wicks yeah. and they actually went into the cab of the car now this is according to his interview and what the news has said so when um when he is driving to the 
the federal building, he has this wick and he it's a five minute wick. So he knows that in five minutes it's gonna go off. So he gets he's five minutes away, he lights it. Um, and when he lights it, he's he's driving and he hits a red light. And he said it's like the longest red light of his <laughs> life, right? <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> right? So he said one of the things he didn't count on was like there'd be so much smoke. So like, you know, right. he, has, he has the windows down because he doesn't want it to look like, you know, he's cheating and, <laughs> and uh, trying to get the smoke out of the, the cab of the car or the truck or whatever. And uh, he, he, set, he successfully does. And he pulls in front of the federal building. He rolls up the window. And when he rolls up the window, he calmly gets out of the car. He doesn't run away from the truck. He walks across the street. He walks one block up. And there's like an alley. And he kind of does like a light jog to a car that he had stashed there. A getaway car. Now, I gotta say, did you ever hear Nick Swartzen's bit when he was talking about getting on the airplane? <laughs> And With how the they old still use the bomb. old, yeah, they still use the picture of the old timey bomb. On the thing. And yeah. you just stand in line with the wick going. <laughs> What's that sound, sir? It's nothing. Nothing. <laughs> or the fireworks. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I when I was in uh, when when I was in I went to vocational school. They had a uh, drug and gun free. Uh, sign out front was like, yeah. like with a big old timey revolver and like <laughs> and a hypodermic needle and then mm-hmm. like uh, like a bomb, like the old timey bomb with like a circle with a line through it. Like you can't bring these things in here. I and that, and then he say like I want to know like the one person is like oh I can't bring it in. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. <laughs> so he kind of jogs to his getaway car gets in his getaway car and there's no license plates <laughs> stupid or whatever we'll get into this I thing. mean not having a front license plate but not having your rear license plate you gotta have one you gotta have Come one on, man so he, so he gets pulled over like on the highway right mm-hmm. after the blast and when he gets pulled over on the highway he they see him with um they they see him he's got like a like a bulge in his jacket or shirt or whatever and they're like what what's going on there and uh he's got a gun and it's unregistered and he doesn't have his concealed carry <laughs> so he gets arrested um <laughs> And Went he down gets like a rap star. Right, right. <laughs> um, so when he gets arrested, um, he's in jail for a couple days. Mm-hmm. And so they find a piece of the rider truck in the thing and they trace it back. And it takes a little bit of forensics, but not long. And they're like, Yeah, everybody said they saw this guy that's like tall, white, crew cut. Mm hmm. And uh, I don't know. He has the name. It's probably a you know, it's probably not his real name, but Timothy McVeigh. 
They're like, oh yeah, we got him in jail. <laughs> like, yeah. what? <laughs> so they go, they go interview him. He's like, oh yeah, I did it. <laughs> so they're like, what the hell? So he full on admits to it. He has a bunch of hair, like his his tape with them is harrowing. Like, I remember my dad, my dad was in the military and he said, whatever, um, whatever, for whatever reason that guy did that, he meant to do it and he was on a mission to do that. Mm-hmm. And and when you listen to his confession, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. He's very matter of fact. He's not rattled. He's not crazy. No. He never really even gets excited. But... You know, he says things, they're like, well, you know, you killed infants and children. He's like, yeah, you know, we do the same thing that the Iraqis do. They put their, they put their daycares above or underneath all their important government people and it's their shield. Right. And they're like, you can tell they're getting pissed. And they're like, well, do you think this like evens the score or something? And he's like, well, if we're keeping score, it's 168 to 1. <laughs> Which is goddamn, dude. Mm-hmm. Right? So he gets convicted. And some cold blooded stuff right there. It, oh, it's, 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 he's a cold fish, man. Like, that guy has his ice water in his veins. Like, he, he fully was fine with what he did. And so he gets convicted. And he actually. He actually um, about his appeals. There's no appeal. Like he he's he opts to like not appeal, which mm. is crazy because it's got to be the fastest execution in modern day history. Because you know how like people stay on death row for like for 30, a long time, yeah, thirty years, right? He got executed like like was it right before nine eleven or right? It was after right before, <laughs> yeah. Right. So this about six, in, six seven years later. Right, this happened in 95, and by 2001, he's dead. Yeah. And then that's... And a really weird, he, um, he, the one thing he did fight for when he was on death row, like yep. the only thing he ever did was make sure that they didn't perform an autopsy, which is uh, perform when you um, get executed by the state. They, they perform an autopsy. And he fought and fought and fought until he got the right to have uh, no op- no autopsy done after his execution. Yeah, because it's almost standard. It um, is. They do one every. They, they supposedly they do an autopsy after state executions. As a standard, and, and it's very rare that they wouldn't. And he, right. he fought for it and got it, and that was it. That's the end of Timothy McVeigh. So you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a lot of people that weren't happy with that. It just seemed too like neat, northerly. Um, there were conspirators, co-conspirators with him. Terry Nichols was convicted of 168 he life executive life sentences, right? <laughs> and that 48 guy, um, when they went to interview him, he kind of. He's like, I, I had no idea he was doing this, and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, look, you know, he, they showed him a picture of his wife that was kind of like, I don't know if she was in a bikini. They kind of like, they said she was like partially nude, so I don't know what that means. Um, but like, I guess Timothy McVeigh had it, 
and he was like pissed and he's like tell me what kind of deal I can get and I'll tell you everything you know so they gave him 10 years for his testimony and he served his 10 years and was released in 2006 Terry he, Nichols is still you, in jail. four year four year yeah well there he only he didn't serve he had 12 years and he didn't serve at all he's he got out early in 2006 right yeah it was in 2006 but okay. he served 85 percent of his 12 year sentence okay okay i stand correct so there was like there was a few people that were pretty upset about that there was a lot because a lot of people out. think he he helped build the bomb yeah and that he he his sentence was too light so um, there was a there was a woman that that was like adamant against him she had like two grandsons in the blast and uh she believes he should have got a life sentence as well. So, huge tragedy. Like the face of terrorist terrorism has changed, um, and this new focus on homegrown terrorism, or like people that are here creating terror, is like a new thing. And actually. Biden had developed this bill that sort of it was sort of the it's framework a, for the Patriot Act. It right? absolutely was. He well, and, he claimed that. He right. claimed that that it was when the Patriot Act came out. He claimed that his original bill was was the um, the heart and soul of that the Patriot Act, which um, his bill didn't pass. Right, right, his, right. His building no, passed. no, and, it was like still in committee, is what they said. Right. So he, I mean, he, these are the conspiracies uh, part of it, where where you talk about how um, there's not a threat until you create one. Right. You, you don't. You know, if you if you need to do something and and you can disguise it under something else, then you can you can. Uh, create a situation that helps you advance that along so that's that goes into the conspiracies uh, with this and with like 9-11 and the patriot act and that both were performed to uh further those agendas so right but he yeah he did and he did claim that as the uh the framework for the patriot act and then that that's where we're at so we're that's sort of the narrative, the story of, of like, if you went and looked at a timeline, that's how it happened and what's going on. But since then, there's been tons of inquiries, a bunch of different um, reports and books yes, and lots of books. documentaries and conspiracy mm-hmm. theories that came out sort of regarding this because it seemed too neat, like all of it did. Yeah, and it was quick. Um, and it does, there are some, there are some like, and it completely shifted. The storyline shifted from the initial report of what was going on. Right. Where you, you're saying it's Islamic extremists that they blew up a truck, but there was also more bombs found that they were being diffused, taken out or dealt with. And all of a sudden it was, no, there was one bomb. It was just a fertilizer bomb in the truck. And it was this white guy who's a white nationalist and white extremist, you know, that 
wants to pay back the government for for the bullshit at Ruby Ridge, Ruby Ridge, and 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 Waco and the like. So, all right, um, well, let's let's get into that. Yeah. So right off the bat, you're right. There's multiple reports that they're actually they come on and say that they're that they had gotten a device that they were deactivating an explosive device. Yes, yeah, several the, news organizations came out and said that they they were actively trying to defuse what they believe were two other bombs. And unlike Unlike 9-11, there are actually witnesses that place various people in the Murrah building actually wiring, you know, plastic explosives to columns. Yeah, there was a lady that did an interview that said that she saw a few guys that were using something that looked like phone cord and uh, putty. Right. And they were attaching it, sticking it to pillars. And she was really like, I don't know if she was trying to sell what she was saying by saying like real vague descriptions or something, but I, I, I feel like 90% of the population, if they saw somebody with something that looked like white putty and telephone cord and they were sticking it to walls would immediately be like, why are these guys setting explosives on the wall? At a federal building? And not be like, I don't know. It was like they were plaster in the wall with some type of putty like they were doing repairs but they were attaching each repair with telephone line and it's like come on lady but she actually does place put put it together so okay there's a okay so no she's not credible it's just weird that she was like underselling her knowledge on what you know what I mean like come on you didn't actually believe they were trying to patch the wall the pillar with putty and for some reason they had a cable to it (laughs) it seems strange to you but not all you know it's like yeah (laughs) look at those guys it's kind of weird I'm gonna go to work um so there's also she places one of the guys that was in he was the leader of one of these Aryan um, sects, like Aryan Brotherhood sects that like he was, okay, he I, I couldn't, I never could get the exact he was the German Chancellor's Consulate's son <laughs> right? Yeah. Right, and then and she, he actually got caught going into a federal building and he had the key code right so there's a little bit of validity to that Mm -hmm. Um, prior to the um, prior to the bombing there was a uh, a worker that was in the um, daycare of the of the building of the Murrah building that said that a man a military guy 
came in and was asking her questions and he was being real vague and asking a lot of weird questions and he was saying things like he just moved here um he was an army recruiter he had a child he didn't want to name he had children he didn't want to name yet he had a wife he didn't want to name yet uh he didn't want to give his name he didn't have any badge or any id and he was asking her questions about the security and the daycare because he was thinking about bringing his kids here or whatever and she just thought it was very odd. Well, after the bombing, they show her a picture of Timothy McVeigh, and she said, "That's the guy." Right. Um. So. So he definitely scoped the place. Timothy McVeigh did. Yes. And then this guy, the Chancellor's consulate's son. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was he was seen there too prior to this thing. There's yeah. also. Uh, John Doe number two that comes out right off the bat that they say everybody well they had like 24 well, there was witnesses. a manhunt for John Doe number two they were asking everybody for help on that one I, I right. remember that there was like the drawing of him and everything with the hat on and he was a big deal and everybody was looking for John Doe number two and then like what was it like a couple months later everybody's just like nah fuck it we were wrong there is no other guy right and they just ended up saying yeah it's not him yeah, they were and, like conflating stories. They were saying they were like people were just weren't remembering correctly because they originally the, the the observation of this guy, this John Doe number two, was made by the rental place that rented Timothy Bay the rider truck. They said he came in with another guy, and that right. was the guy. And um, and they had a pretty some, good description of him, like right, ta- yeah, like everybody kind of described, yeah. right, right. So they, that's, it, it's, it's, it's odd that, because what they kind of, what they said was they came back and they said, well, the people that work there were probably just confusing one day with the other and conflating two different experiences together as one, like, like that just fucking happens, you know? Right. <laughs> or this guy I really recognize and I can give you an accurate description of came in. And then another day, another guy that I can give you an accurate description of came in and I didn't remember that it was two different days and they weren't together. Right. Come on, man. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find that lady's that was. Uh... So, OK. So they had a thing called PatCon. Mm-hmm. And that was Patriot Conspiracy, and it was set up by the FBI. And what it was, it was a way for federal groups, mm-hmm. ATF, FBI, to infiltrate these right-wing radicals in the United States. And... incite them to a point where they would act on something so that they could squash them. Mm-hmm. And the reason we talked about Ruby Ridge and Waco is because there's this agent and he was talking about this. Isn't that where the sheep, what do they call it, sheep dipping? Well, that's, we're going to get into that too. <laughs> so, they said Ruby Ridge and Waco were, were this. And Yes, Timothy McVeigh was what they called sheep dipped. And what, what that is, is that 
and it's a real thing. This is a real. This isn't like conspiracy. This is a real thing. This is when you bow out of your your service. So you're in the, you're in the service of some kind, mm-hmm. and you bow out. You discharge. Yeah, you get through all the all the formal uh, d- uh, discharge from service. Yeah, make yourself a civilian. Yeah, and then you get you get reenlisted with um, army intelligence. And you you do like black ops, yeah, and uh, contract work and stuff, right? And that's what that's what Timothy McVeigh said happened to him. He yeah, he wrote a letter he, to his sister telling her right. that and that's he said, what he was doing. He was in this Green Beret program, and he said they called out ten names, or they called out ten social security numbers, no names, and his was called, and he was pulled out, and he's like, this was supposed to be like a special thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, and he ends up having to do this, these special ops. Yeah. So there's a lady, and I'm trying to find her name, but she had infiltrated, um, and it was a, uh, it was the, it was a city right by Oklahoma City. Um, the the Elam what, City. Elam City, yes. What was her name? Carol Howe. Okay. So when she was kind of like a whistleblower about this, she was an informant for the ATF. They planted her in uh, Elam City. Elam City was this. Um, it was kind of like you know the, the um, it was like this camp that was set it was, up. They were white separatists. They they were yeah. Well, it, it for it's it started under the guise of a pacifist group, where they like came up with their own monetary system and rules and laws and regulations they had they built their own housing it's just like the typical uh waco type sect or cult that you want whatever you want to call it and um she was given information to the f atf she was a plant by them she was recruited to go in there and apparently she was really good at it and but what and so it was but she gave them all kinds of information but i that's where the conspiracy, part of the conspiracy, one direction of a conspiracy starts is that the ATF was getting this stuff from her. Now, this is according to, there's a man named Andrew Gumbel and he wrote a book. Right. That and, was yeah. And he, and he wrote that, that Carol Howe was giving them so much information that was just like horrible stuff. Like, hey, these people are bad fucking news. Some bad stuff's going to happen. These people are going to do something bad. That they were scared that the information she was telling, that this is according to him, that they were scared that the information that they were receiving from Carol Howe was going to force their hand, that they were going to have to do something and they were going to end up in another Ruby Ridge, Waco situation where they have to go infiltrate this camp and every, all hell breaks loose. So... According to Andrew Gumble, they pulled Carol Howe, even though she was doing a good job. They they pulled her from out of Elam City because they they didn't want to have to deal with what was going on in there. But it, Timothy McVeigh had said at one point that like the place was crawling with there were like more informants. Yeah. Than, there, than there were actual. Even like, Carol Howe said that she said there was. There they was called it Alphabet City. Yeah, there was other informants <laughs> inside there. There was some working for the FBI, some working for ATF, some working for the Department of Justice. There was 
there's people all over. And they were sort of the ones that were like, you know, starting these fires, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And that's what this PatCon Patriot Conspiracy is. So, real quick, conspiracies are real. Okay, they're not real in every single circumstance, Mm -hmm. but like 9-11 was a conspiracy. There, okay, if you take the the actual story, that was a conspiracy on their side. You know, 20 guys got together, or however many people were involved in the planning. Mm -hmm. You know, they all conspired to hijack planes and crash them, and there was was a plan, right? So, so conspiracies are real. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just you, you think that maybe our government is immune to it, but you know, we're not. Like, we do the same thing. We play just as dirty as the next guy. Like, you know, but that's our history. You know, when when they were fighting in rows, we're like, fuck that. We're going to hide in trees and shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, like, we, that's in our blood that, like, we, we fight dirty, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, so she's, she kind of brings this to a head. He tells a guy that he's on death row with that. Yeah, man, I was like special ops and I was, I was brought in to do this. I was brought in to do this bombing mm-hmm. and he worked under a guy called the major and he, they refer to him several times. Now, Terry Nichols swears that there is there's other people at play, but he's he's afraid to say anything. Yeah, because he still got people on the outside. Yeah, he's like they'll they'll murder everybody in my family. He's like, yeah, yeah. And and from what I understand, he did a lot of searching for that wife. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of trips to the Philippines. Right. So that brings to the other thing is that him and Ramsey Youssef were actually in the Philippines at the same time. Yeah, correct. And there was, there was a few other, there was a few other people that got named in that, especially by the um, report that uh, uh, Jana Davis did where um, she, I, I, I believe she said that uh, Ramsey Youssef, Abdul Hakim Murad, who, uh, I believe he was the, um, he had, he got arrested for something. He was, he was trying to, him the and Philippine somebody, airlines. Yeah. He was trying to, they, well, they had, um, I was trying to find it. I, I know I had it up here somewhere. He, he was another one that was a mastermind behind something. So there was a couple guys, bad guys there that, he supposedly met with on the island um, of, I think it's called, he pronounced it Mardone, Mardona. It's part of the Philippines. Right. Which is supposed to be a hotbed for seedy terrorist organizations to meet up. So they were like, they had them in the same vicinity, like down to a hotel. Yeah, real close. And and then after that, 
Um, is it Ramsey Youssef that makes a call to New York? And it's, well, it's to like the neighborhood that Terry Nichols was staying at the time. Yeah. So they don't really have like the phone call or anything, but there was definitely like no fertilizer bombs and then there were fertilizer bombs, (laughs) you know? And that was kind of like their, that's kind of like their trademark. And a lot of people think, you know, the development of that kind of urban guerrilla warfare tactic is something that had a Middle Eastern component to it. That's why all the news people said it's Middle Eastern terrorist. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I don't think you're a very good white supremacist if you got a Filipino wife. Well, (laughs) a lot of people think it's about guns. Mm-hmm. And that this was, yeah, like, yeah, they're white supremacists. And this is how Randy Weaver was. Like, he went to a meeting, but he wasn't really a white supremacist. He went to this meeting and they're like, they're like, hey, you want a hot dog? He's like, yeah. They're like, you want a beer? He's like, sure. <laughs> like, you want to play cornhole? He's like, totally. <laughs> it's like, you hate black people? He's like, whoa, no. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> well, what kind of- you want to hear about my militia? <laughs> what kind of picnic is this? Uh, yeah, so like a lot, of, a lot of people think that this is all about gun control and that there's a shadow government that lies within our immediate government that is more loyal to the UN than to the United States. Now, I'm not saying I believe this. I'm just saying this is what they believe. But there's the shadow no, government. Fixed. No, it's not. that, And it's the UN, basically. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's because they want us to take away our guns because we are a wild card with guns. It's- that was honestly, with Nichols, that was his excuse because they asked him about all those. He went to the Philippines several times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he, he forgot... He had like no money either. He didn't right. work. And so he's making these trips back and forth to the Philippines. And they, when they asked him why, he said he was looking for a wife. Right. And they were like, that's it? That's, that's all you got? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you're not even going to try? You know? You know how hard it is to find a wife when you're <laughs> he's a like, serial yeah, bomber? <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I try and find a Filipino wife here in America, all my white supremacist friends get upset. <laughs> The second I start talking about the rider truck. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but that their belief is that, and you're right, it isn't crazy far-fetched because they're, you know, we got into this with Area 51. There's Anytime black, you got a bunch of money tied up into something. Right, there's, you know, black, there's black projects and there's stuff that we don't know about. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so then that, so, you know, Ramsey Youssef, yeah, he has ties to Al Qaeda, and then that has ties to like, of course, nine eleven, and you know, all the terrorism networks kind of like come together, and that's what this thing kind of is. It's like, you know, was there a revolution like brewing? And at that time, 
uh, you know, like the Michigan militia and all that. Yeah. They had like record numbers, but like after this, like people really separated themselves from, yeah, from this movement. Mm-hmm. And it, it's sort of like, like that used to be a joke and now people wouldn't even understand what you're talking about, you know? Like, if somebody called crazy on the radio, they'd be like, oh, it looks like our branch of the Michigan militia is calling in. And now nobody even knows what that means. Um, So it's really not crazy far-fetched that, you know, they were sort of successful in that regard. But this idea that, you know, maybe Timothy McVeigh was working for the government is crazy because... There's a, a lot of things that were in the Mora building. There's a lot of things in there, apparently. Yeah. Some, uh... Well, like all of the all of the hard files for the Whitewater scandal with yep. the Clintons. Yep. Where they were bringing, and this was and like drugs being brought into Arkansas. Right. With real estate deals and and drugs being brought into Mena, Arkansas, which I by saw, the way, I have saw you ever that seen? and I was like, oh shit, 168 people suicided themselves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it is crazy that they have an actual dead list that's tangible. Like everybody else, <laughs> right? I know, everybody else, they're, everybody else's dead list. They're like, well, that guy got a car wreck, heart attack. Yeah, yeah. There's just like that guy committed suicide by shooting himself four times in the head. Yeah. There's yeah. one that got shot in the back twice. Right. And you're like, yeah. Right. It was a robbery and they were like he they, he had everything on him. But have, have you ever seen American Made? With Tom Cruise? I don't think I did. Dude, it is unbelievable. So he goes like he's a pilot. And Oh yeah, I, yeah. No, we talked about this, right? Where he's yeah, the pilot yeah. And they were paying him to fly drugs in, right? And at the end, he's like, well, I mean, I work for the CIA. And they're like, do you? And he's <laughs> like, shit. They're like, I mean, how do, how do you know you work for the CIA? He's like, well, such and such group. And they're like, yeah, is that, have you ever checked into that group? And it's, he's, he realizes he's like, he's screwed. Yeah. Because like, how do you say you work for the CIA? Yeah, they yeah. kept all their ties to him. Right. You know. Handle one one guy handling him and stuff. So like, all of those files were there. All of the Ruby Ridge files were there, and all of the Waco files were there. Yeah, there was tons of stuff that is like, wow, that was all in that building. And now there are, and then you get the eyewitness testimonies that pop up that are saying that they saw they they that with the very first thing that happened. There's several people said this. The very first thing that happened on the scene was they shut it down. And they right. wouldn't let they anybody said, in. And they, and they said then, it's crazy because they have people in the building that are alive. Yeah. Under rubble. Yep. And a bunch of guys in blue coats. Came came up with no markings on them. And uh, one guy said that a female agent walked up to him and said, um, there's, there's sensitive material in there until it's cleared. Nobody's going in. And a truck backed up and they could see them loading several files and file cases into a truck and then they pulled off and then that area was opened up for people to come in and the first responders to get in there and help. And they said they had uh, FBI agents in the field picking up papers. <laughs> yes. They, papers were everywhere so they were all over the place picking up stuff. Yeah. 
So then you have like the actual explosion itself. Now I'm not like an engineer. Um, you know, I've actually never talked to my brother about this. I should, cause he's an architect. Um, but there's some kind of like, there's a lot of reports where like there's drywall that's intact in the front and behind it are like blown out concrete columns. Yeah. And a lot of people say that they're like severed. And some columns that were blocked, uh, the other column that's down from the blast and they're, you know. The other thing to me, and maybe this is just me, I don't know. I've never been there. I've never been to Oklahoma City. I've never seen the proximity to the building. I know most federal buildings have like a barrier. Like I've only seen a couple federal buildings. Mm-hmm. There's some of them have like, you know, if, if they're in a major downtown, you're on a street view. But like, even then you have to walk way far into the middle of the building, you know, yeah. this kind of seemed like it was just like, you can park office. right up front. Yeah, this seemed like it was like a regular office building, but like yeah. there was still like a cushion of air. And the guy that developed the neutron bomb, he's like dead set that this this wasn't able to do the damage that it did. Yeah, and you hear that a lot, man. That they would take more than that to to take because. It does kind of look like when you look at the building as a, in a picture, it does look like, like, uh, I don't know, like, it, it, like it's been, you know, like when the Terminator shows up and like right. the ball like just makes shit disappear wherever, the, you know what I mean? Right. It's like that. It's it's quite the, uh, quite the devastation. Yeah, and it is like, as far as an explosion goes. Um, and again, I'm no expert or anything. It seems like not enough. You wouldn't have enough energy in the size of a rider truck to do to do that kind of damage. Yeah, without it also, it without, also depends on the building. And, and, and he did build it. Apparently, he built it to blow towards the building. Yeah. So that if you looked inside, it was like funneled towards the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if so, he he did it like the most efficient way you could do it because they, I mean, they just all they found was like a piece of the rider truck. So like, <laughs> it's a truck. Yeah. So now there was reports that originally that wasn't even the plan was to pull up on that federal building. That the this Andrew the the guy I was talking about before um, Andrew Gumble he he believes according to his research because he's the one that that pointed out the um, uh, the daycare worker that had seen Timothy McVeigh and had all the weird questions. Uh, well, originally the plan was to one of the buildings has a. Uh, road that passes underneath it and they were going to go underneath the building itself it was a federal courthouse that was filled with federal judges and all kinds of stuff and they were going to pull the truck underneath there and blow it up from underneath to do max damage and 
So this is Larry Potts, who was the director of the FBI in Ruby Ridge and Waco, who who McVeigh said he was working under. Yeah. Is that who? Okay. And this. No. The and they, they said they, their original plan was to go underneath the building and blow it, and the truck wouldn't fit. They didn't measure for the truck, so it wouldn't fit. So he had to drive, and it was seen. This was corroborated by witnesses who saw the rider truck and the paths that it was taken. That it went like circled the block, and then it went to go down behind, and it it was going to go behind and park where the federal judge's entrance was. Um, and when they turned the corner, there was like a, um, uh, a detainee vehicle, like either picking up or dropping off prisoners. Mm-hmm. And they saw it. And now this truck spotted the rider truck and saw that it, it went to pull down the alley and it stopped backed up and changed its direction and went the other way. So... He Andrew Gumbel put it together that he thinks because Timothy McVeigh went around and he was and he had checked that building and was asking those questions at that building that it would have been most likely his call to say, Hey, let's do this building instead. I can park right in front of it. Hmm. So I don't know, but like that goes against what you're saying where they made it directional because. Well, he unless you could change it directionally inside the vehicle, like you know, because it might have had to blow straight up if they were going under that bridge, and he might have changed it to blow out instead somehow. And but that's that's just something that Andrew Gumble said now, because he's according to him, this whole they they left so much on the table, and mm-hmm. and the the reason he's he's got several ideas on the reasons why they did it, and a lot of them has to do with not botching another job. They'd already got some black eyes and what they were trying to do was clean it up quick. So right. that's why they abandoned the John Doe number two and all that. They were just like, no, it's these guys right here. So they ignored like a ton of tips. And the other problem was with the investigation, according to him was one. And I thought this was crazy. The ATF, when all the organizations were coming together, you know, they were pulling people from everywhere. Right. And, these organizations are coming together and when they were doing their briefings on all the information that they had at that current time, the ATF was going back and distributing it to all the branches of the ATF. Like all of them um, in, in its in its agency unadulterated. <laughs> so huh. so there's like a hundreds of possible leaks at the ATF because information was getting leaked. Um the the Nichols, both of them, um, got warned that they were looking for. Them. Really? Yeah. So one, that's why they turned themselves in the way they did. Like uh, Terry Nichols went out and went like fake shopping. Like he was just like going to the store and picking stuff up. So he'd be like out in the open. Right. They were saying so he'd get caught out in the open instead of being pinned down where they would gunning down and the other Nichols brother was so scared that he rounded up he went home got his wife and his kids and went home, went to the police station and voluntarily turned himself in because he thought they were going to hunt him down and kill him which they would yes so they, but somebody told him there was a leak and somebody told him they were looking for him 
Well, so you know, that leaves the question like somebody's out there telling them information. That guy had previous information and blah, blah, blah. And then here's another one. An ATF agent was apparently sleeping with a reporter from the Dallas Morning News. Yeah. And he was telling her everything. So like the Dallas Morning News for like three weeks straight had like every fucking scoop. You know what I mean? They were they were coming out with these doozies like, look what we got. So they had like all the information. So information was getting leaked all over the place. And um, but there was other things that he wanted to look at that nobody was questioning or following up on people that he believes had prior knowledge of the bombing and their actions show it. Like there was a Wayne Snell that was on death row. Right. Right. And Wayne Snell was convicted of like murdering like two people. He was like this white right. supremacist guy. Yes. That he killed some guy in a store, drug store, cause he thought he was Jewish. Right. And then he killed some other black person or something like that. And he was on death row and while he's on death row, he was also thought to have tried to conspire to blow up the exact same building in 83. Huh. And he was talking to the guards adamantly and he would always like openly talk about how his friends were going to get revenge for his death. And he say, said the night of the, the bombing, he was up all night watching TV. And when the story broke, he started jumping up and down and celebrating. And then that dude was put to death 12 hours later. Wow. Huh. And then they, and here's the thing. His wife visited him all the time. Right. Right. In prison. They never asked her anything. They never asked her one question and they knew this information. They knew that this guy was saying stuff that led him to believe that he had prior knowledge and all this stuff. They never asked his wife and she traveled on all the same. We hate black people circles. So I don't, I want, that, that's confusing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's also a bunch of, like, there were bank robberies, and this is mm-hmm. with the white supremacists, and a lot of them think that, you know, there were... These bank robberies were carried out by, like, ATF and FBI informants. Mm-hmm. And it was in order to, like, you know, give them validity... Right. So like, and that's what this guy, that guy wrote in his book, you know, that like, you know, first it starts off, they're like good guys. And then they're actually like, in, in order to do their job, they have to be like bad guys. Right. And that's kind of like the Randy Weaver, you know, he, he ended up ultimately getting off for it because he was entrapped. Yeah. And they end up settling with him like $8 million tax free. Because, yeah. and whenever they do anything tax-free, it's because they fucked up. Right. <laughs> you know, because... Yeah, they're not begrudgingly admitting it. They're like, just go away. Right, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, I think we hit... We hit the I know we're missing something. Yeah, no, I got one. It's... it's My... The... Johnny uh, Davis was... Um, she was a reporter at the time for Oklahoma City NBC affiliate uh, KFOR TV. Yes, and okay, she, I remember this. And she wrote a book called "The Third Terrorist," I believe. Right, right. And what her conspiracy was is that that 
this was carried out under the behest not only not only Oklahoma City bombing, uh, but the 9-11 bombing were funded and financed by Saddam Hussein. And you can see right away why that wouldn't sit well with people because there are so many people want to call that, you know, the us going into Iraq bullshit and there was no weapons of mass destruction and, and stuff like that. So it's kind of hard to fit in there because she's not talking about weapons of mass destruction and she's not talking about reasons to go to war with them. She was talking about finding the truth about it, which was that according to her, that this is all connected to Saddam Hussein. And she has some really valid research. Well, there's a guy, there's a guy that Timothy McVeigh met in Iraq who was a recent, like, immigrant. And his name was Al Suhaini. Mm -hmm. And he literally called the Oklahoma City Iraqis because they were trying to figure out where they fit in this whole story, too. Okay, and so is this the guy that owned the uh, Section 8 housing? Yeah, and a lot of people think mm-hmm. he was John Doe number two. Yeah, so Johnya Davis, she reported on this guy. This guy, she got a, what happened was, was she was looking for tips. They told her, they, they her TV station told her they wanted her on the manhunt, mm-hmm. you know, and, they, and she was like, why? why? I'm like, I want to cover this, you know, the actual part of the story, not the manhunt. And, and um, so she's like, fine, I'll get on it. And she started opening up a tip line and stuff like that. And well, as it goes, you know, they get all these tips and most of them are bullshit and everybody's looking for their 15 minutes of fame, as she put it. Mm-hmm. She goes, so she she narrowed it down to to a few well, she got one tip in particular where a guy said he worked for this property manager and that the guy that he worked for was um he was Palestinian and that he had guys that came and visited him. There were Iraqi soldiers and he, there were like eight of them and he hired them on like six months before the bombing. Right. And, uh, two days before the bombing. And now this was, this was corroborated by like several eyewitnesses that, that said at the scene of the bombing, they had seen, two men of Middle Eastern descent in a brown pickup truck fleeing the scene. They were right. like moments before the explosion, they were speeding away. Right. So two days before the bombing, that brown truck was spotted in front of this guy's building by this, this guy that worked for him. He's like, I saw that brown truck two days that you're talking about two days before there was a brown truck out there. It had tinted windows and smoke wind shield or whatever. And it was out in front of his building. Now, this man owned like $4 million in Section 8 housing. Right. Which $4 million buys you a lot of Section 8 housing because they were like really shitty. (laughs) So They're better now. And he was actually arrested in the 90s, early 90s on uh, tax fraud charges. and, And he pled guilty to federal insurance fraud. And the FBI at the time suspected him having ties to the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Right. And when when they asked him where he got the money because he's like supposed to be a poor immigrant where he got the money to buy these these buildings four million dollars worth of buildings he said that he had siblings back in iraq that were making donations to him 
It's like, it's like, a, it's a Uday. lot of money, my guy. You know, Uday and Kuse. Yeah, <laughs> my my cousin Uday. Yeah. So <laughs> and then he, so anyway, he's he's uh when the here's the crazy thing is is that she's got this uh, testimonies from people that worked for him that were you know that saw the men that were the Iraq these Iraqi soldiers that he he had hired they were like former iraqi soldiers then they immigrated here and he hired them that when the news originally broke because the news originally broke like we said as a islamic extremist group blew something up blew a building up these guys like broke out like cheering high-fiving mm-hmm. they were like and they they like didn't care that the american workers were watching them they were on the job site just like high-fiving and, and saying Apparently saying shit like we love Hussein and he's going to liberate us all in English. Yeah, it's like, kind of like and I remember thinking that, too, like it was it was a movement, you know, like mm-hmm. when all that shit, because, th- dude, that like I know there were I know there were Middle Eastern terror, but they were more like from Iran up until that point. Yeah. This is usually who's got their fingers on the buttons anyway. Right. And now it's, then it kind of shifted because they're, they're a whole different kind of people. So now here's the thing. She did, she did some snooping and found out those guys were absent from work the exact same day that McVeigh picked up the rider truck. So there's also the conspiracy that the, the ATF where they all received pages to not to go into the office. Huh. And that there was a, a group of, like, a, a, like, actually there isn't um, that many people that are actually working with the ATF that were, it like, victims. Yeah. I don't know that for sure because I don't know all the victims. Right. But and then... Well, according to her... There, there was one person in particular because the, the, all these at some point they said that she had like tw- 22 which she called credible witness eyewitnesses she narrowed it down to like 22 credible witnesses that had spotted McVeigh with these men that worked for this property management company and one of them in particular that he was seen with is was identified as Husani Hussam Al Husani right and he was uh, one of the. He he actually matches John Doe 2's description and yeah. drawing. So, <sighs> it's just it's so twisted. So what she's saying is that it was Saddam who was financing and getting the the ball rolling on all these attacks and there is motive there that that they did through like al-qaeda on 9-11 and And it goes back to like it goes back to what we were saying like you know we said go ahead and go into kuwait he goes into kuwait we go to war with him and then he's not really taken out of power which is weird right right because he wasn't after the gulf war he wasn't taken out of power no he wasn't taken out of power until after 9-11. Yes. And it did feel like when that happened, like, okay, wait, it's Osama bin Laden. But right. 
But we're going to war with Iraq. Wait, it's not that guy. It's the guy in the cave. <laughs> hey, we're like. First, you like, tell me Oklahoma okay. City was a white dude. <laughs> now you're telling me these buildings were brought down by a guy in a cave. <laughs> hey, sidebar: Family Guy does this thing, and it's the outtakes of uh, the terrorist video from the Jersey. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I love Family Guy. It's. It's just Tom Bin Laden making a terrorist tape. <laughs> and he's like, you infidels, come this Rodamon, I will blow up your... He's like, Rodamon? What, like Dennis Rodamon is coming? <laughs> oh, right. I remember now. I do remember that one. <laughs> what, what is Rodamon? <laughs> Ramadan. Why am I saying Rodamon? <laughs> that was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, this goes in a bunch of different directions and I kind of, well, we'll get, we'll get into, we'll, we'll get we into thinking. what we think, but, but, but like, I kind of think that there's, you know, something to like all of this and why are, why are so many people obsessed with this and not just it, it this isn't like the nine eleven conspiracy because the people that are obsessed with this are government people. Now there is a conspiracy that does kind of go with some of the stuff we were saying where you can conflate it all together, where they say that, um, that Timothy McVeigh was this black op secret agent and that his job was to blow up this building. And its purpose was, um, a couple fold that was going to kill a few birds with one stone. One was to get rid of sensitive information that was locked up in that federal building. And two was to um, instigate or propagate the pushing for what was to become the Patriot Act. So that the government could spy willingly on the American people. So because they tried it and it failed. And so, so real quick, we'll go, we'll, we'll go, we'll go back. We'll rewind just a little bit, but like another Okay, there's two more military conspiracies where, you know, he supposedly is out of the military in 91 and this guy is doing a documentary. I saw that. And he literally has him on tape in 93. He catches him by surprise in a tank. It's very much. If it's not him, they are making Timothy McVeigh's. Yeah, he's pretty close. Even the voice, uh, they said they did a voice and he took it to, uh, I can't remember what college, he took it to one of the universities where he had a uh, audio guys, forensic. Yeah, the guy said 86% chance. 86% chance the voice match. Because he asked him a question, he was real aloof about it. He, when he turned around, he was surprised that he was there. He, like, what do he you just kind of walked up and he walked up on a tank and he was looking in the hatch through the back and Timothy McBurda guy, the Timothy McVeigh lookalike was up in the front doing something, closing a hatch, turned around and looked up and saw him. And then he kind of kind of goes off side of the camera and he said, what do you do here? And he said, he said, oh, I'm just a, I'm just a, a clerk, inventory clerk. And he goes, oh, you just park in the tank. And he said something like that. And it's important to know, like, this is before the digital age. Mm-hmm. They had computers, but they didn't have giant hard drives. I mean, you know, like, if it was stored, it was in very simple 
stuff. It was before they did any kind of like mega encryption or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, it's hard to imagine, but like when we were in high school, we had like one computer that was online and nobody knew what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Cause there wasn't Google. There wasn't, you know, you couldn't, right. it was kind of like in its infancy stages and like, I mean, it seems like you got hard records. Yeah. You know, they're not backed up digitally at that point. Yep. That's that seems like a, a viable thing. It was all paper stuff. Right. It's all paper files. Um all right, do we hit all the different I mean, yeah, I think so. He's and that like we said we were saying just to clarify that that video that we were talking about that looks like Timothy McVeigh would have been what a year after the Oklahoma City bombing, which means he would have still been in service with the military and is right. still alive and actually was not killed. Did we talk about that yet that he actually wasn't executed? We did not talk about that. Okay, we kind of touched on. Just so there's a lot of couple. people, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that think he wasn't actually executed. Right. There was, a, there was a woman there who said he never closed his eyes. And she said it, he had the appearance that he was dead, but it was almost like you could see him taking very, very intermediate, slow, shallow breaths. And he had told his cellmate yep. that, um, that he wasn't going to die. They were going to use like a series of drugs. Slow to make to yeah. to it appear for him to die, and then they would bring him back like a Narcan, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yep. and then there's no there's no real finality. So yeah, because like, eyewitness testimony says that it, they shut everything down. Well, like, he right? was you know, like he was uh, like you couldn't see anything from the neck down. Right, they, they had him in like well, it was almost like you would think of uh, a barber's. Um, drape that they put on you when they're cutting your hair mm-hmm. so you can't see anything from the waist down you can't see any lines in his arms or anything and it's just from the neck up and then he kind of like head goes back and then that's it and he's staring off blankly but there was people that actually saw there were the witnesses to his execution that that had questions you know yeah. they weren't like yeah he's dead i saw it Right. And they said when he was being pronounced dead and when the doctor was checking him to be pronounced dead is when they saw the shallow breathing, this one lady said that was one of the witnesses to the execution. Uh, and he got cremated before anybody could know about it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Got cremated. No autopsy. All right. Let's get into it. All right, well, <laughs> what do you want to do? You want to go first? Go I'll, go, I'll go first. Okay. Because I honestly believe in all the research I did and all the different people that were talking and all the books that were written, I believe that this um, Jana Davis is, she's probably the closest to the truth. And, and it, it's probably not what everybody wants to hear, but I think that 
there was funding happening from um, Saddam Hussein Middle Eastern terrorist groups. He was it makes funding, a, he was it funding makes a lot of that. sense. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. And 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 she's got so many corroborating because like even her witnesses that when I said she narrowed it. So down you're to you're going months. you're just saying not not a, he didn't act alone. This wasn't a thing he. Yeah, I don't think it had anything to do with white nationalists or Elam City or any of those people. I I think those people were bad, but I don't think they had anything to do with this. I think the the one guy that, like, to go back to the guy that was on death row that was saying all the things like, yeah, they're going to get back for blah, blah, blah. He didn't have, as far as I could find, Wayne Snell, he didn't have any... Uh, the groups he belonged to weren't any of the groups that they associated either Timothy McVeigh or Terry Nichols or anybody else to, mm-hmm. you know, so it just didn't make sense to me that they would, you know, I don't know, network. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they network as well as, as foreign terrorist groups do. So, so you're not they, even saying probable. You're saying there was some kind of conspiracy afoot. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I and I think that it muddied the waters for enough people in government that they started covering shit up and changing the narrative. Well, you know, like to your point that you know this whole PatCon thing was kind of buried. The program was buried, and they just recently started again under Obama. Mm-hmm. That that practice of doing that, and it started very early after Vietnam with mm-hmm. the civil rights movement and um, you know <clears throat> infiltrating they used people who came back from v- Vietnam to infiltrate like hate groups or whatever yeah and that was kind of like the origin and then you know after this happened um, they st- sort of stopped using that tactic and then under Obama, they kind of got back into it, and it's like commonplace now. Yeah, and I and I, like I said, she did a lot of digging, and even with the, uh, like I was saying, when she had the, uh, the, the witnesses that she got, that she called credible, that saw McVeigh with these guys that worked for this property management guy, the, this Palestinian guy that, that had ties to the Palestinian Liberation Organization according to the FBI, um, that all the people that all those 22 credible eyewitnesses, that when they gave their accounts of things that transpired that they saw that day, none of them conflict with any of the FBI timelines of movement of either McVeigh or Nichols. Like they don't, they don't go against it at all. They're like, I saw this here at this time. And they're like, well, yeah, because the FBI said at this time, you know what I mean? It was all corroborated. The timelines all matched. So, okay. Then why, why did Saddam do that? Why, why is all this? Why does all this that like, there's a lot of people involved. Kuwait oil. Yeah. That's, okay. I mean, that's why he was pissed about Kuwait not being part of Iraq anyway. I mean, Kuwait is just yeah. overflowing with oil. Yeah. So uh, that one's, I mean, 
that's pretty easy to me to see. I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it's as easy as why we went into Iraq, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We yeah. Went in there. And, and, it, and, and not to say, not to say that the people that were running the country that decided to go into Iraq were going in there because of oil. I'm not, I'm not saying that because I think all these things always happen because of super special interest people that do the right moving and shaking. They they push narratives in certain ways. They they put game trails in certain ways, you know, for people to yeah. follow. And you end up in this situation where you're like, because by all accounts, everybody in government at the time got the same information and they and they all came to agreement that we should invade Iraq and said this this is very legit intel that says that they have weapons of mass destruction. And this is yeah, okay. Just so Democrats and Republicans, Democrat, both sides did it. Both right. sides said, I mean, it was it was. So you can't blame this on like Bush. No, no, no. no. You really can't blame it on the Clintons. No, no. This was. I don't think you can. I think there was a lot of mishandling of information. There was a lot of stuff that they wasn't analyzed correctly, because I think most of these could have been prevented easily if the agencies had talked to each other. A lot of these agencies had corroborating information that, that if put together, would say, hey, wait, there's something here. We should look into this. And they just didn't because they, they, like, they compartmentalize stuff and they keep stuff from each other and they weren't working together. And they let stuff go right underneath their noses. So, I mean, you can point fingers and say all you want, but I believe that you have small warmongering people who, who know how to get things done. Like they know how to push things in a certain direction and by making subtle moves, they've been doing it for a long time and they can make us, you know, as a country move in certain directions, they cause these ripple effects. Yeah. I agree agree with that. So, and I, and I, it's like, Hey, this, this guy's got, uh, this company that wants, you know, to make more money off this investment. And he's, he's the guy that goes in and finds a sneaky backhanded way to make it pay off, you know, direct effect and cause and effect kind of people. There's, there's people that have that. I think that are, you know, it's like when we were talking about psychics and I said, I think people, there's certain people that have that, that intuitive part of their brain that's like super hypersensitive where they can kind of see outcomes before yeah. they happen. And I'm fine with that. And I think there's people <laughs> I think there's people that, that that work like that. So they can see these pathways. If they take it, it's gonna get a result that they want. And that could be uh more oil and their company's uh stock going up, you know? Yeah. So <sighs> And so the, the, the people so were whispering in the ear of so the So you're saying conspiracy it. afoot all mm-hmm. over oil. And... I'm, I'm thinking it's several things. And I think there was I think there was opportunity to kill several birds with one stone. I think you can push a a, a bill through. But definitely if, if not you turn like a blind a eye to it. Like definitely this. not like a, a disenfranchised no, I don't soldier. think that at all. I don't I don't I don't buy that one bit. His letter to his sister kind of explained that. He said, Why would a decorated soldier that's considered, you know, honorable, blah, 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 just up and quit and and wash out? 
He's like, of course I did. They pulled me off of the side. Yeah, because just because you don't make it through a Green Beret doesn't mean you have to get out of the army. <laughs> and so, and, and for you all know? we know, is McVeigh could have been playing both sides. You know, he could have been using. Probably. He could have been using that special ops treatment to, and that he wanted done to say, hey, I agree with you. These fucking people are horrible people. I'll do whatever you want because they deserve it. And it could have been where our government knew things that were happening or that were going to happen. There could have been, like I said, a couple people that knew that was what was going to happen and, and turned a blind eye to it because well, it was going to destroy I mean, documents. That was like they a were okay Senate, with that. That was a Senate hearing with 9-11 where they had Condoleezza Rice you know, on the stand and they're like, you had a memo that said they're flying planes into buildings. And she's like, yeah, but we don't know when. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, we get that. And there we was somebody that kinds, said that. We get all was... kinds of possibilities about, like, how they could, how people could, like, destroy our country. But, like, right. we don't know when. Yeah. So, there's yeah, several I mean, people that claim that they had the information and they were trying desperately to get, get it heard. Well, that Carol Howe said... It was mentioned hundreds of times. Yeah. The Mora building was specifically the Mora building was mentioned hundreds of times in the circle. And she said she didn't know who was an informant, who wasn't. Um, But it was mentioned hundreds of times about that particular building and blowing it up. Right. All right. So you're saying conspiracy, 100%, something went down. To what extent you don't know, probably for oil. It was, it was, it was probably like I said, it was probably something where uh, to a bunch of things at once. Uh, to a bunch of things at once happened. Why they were there was a botched sort of botched investigation of it, and why they took it in a different direction was because they were protecting a what what ended up being a beneficial outcome for certain people. Like at first they were like, this is crazy. We're going to find out who's responsible as a terrorist organization. And when they found out some of the aftermath effects of it, they started pulling back and they started going just after the white supremacists. And they said, let's not go after the, this because then attention will get drawn on them. And right now we can focus on this and the fact that these files got destroyed and that if we put this bill in, it might pass. And it, you know what I mean? I think there was a lot of moving chips in this. And I think it came to a head when um, when 9-11 happened because the Patriot Act went through. We were in Iraq. We were in that, you know what I mean? So I think somebody in our government saw opportunity coming and backed the investigation off and went in this different direction and built it as this other thing. But I think it originally, it started, like she said, with Saddam Hussein trying to take shots at America and us standing by on our end and letting it happen because we could see where we could take legislation and get rid of um, sensitive documentation and all in one like foul swoop. So and for, that's coming from like different agents, different spots. Like this one didn't care because of this reason. This one didn't do enough because of this reason. You know, I think I mean? that's a very like human response. So everybody had like a little finger in the in in the the whole 
the whole spiel. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think I think I think yeah, Timothy I mean, got yeah. McVeigh got used. You know, and and he was okay with it. You could tell by that interview, like you said. Yeah, he's cool he's, as a cucumber. So he really, what he's unwavering. So he was fine with whatever they wanted to build that at, and and like and, he literally says, "Am I the t- am I the face of evil?" Right. And he stares at him like, and he, he's he, not. Yeah, <laughs> he's not at all. He's not. Charles Manson's the face of evil. Yeah. If Charles he's, Manson says that, you're like, oh yeah. Yeah, but he's not. He's yeah. like Opie. Yeah. So uh, I, I agree. Okay. So I agree with you, and this is this is the main reason I agree with you. No way you get into a car with no license plates. <laughs> you just don't do it. Not you after just, you blew up a building. You just don't. That's a I don't give a fuck move right there. You just don't selectively buy ammonium nitrate. Mm-hmm. Travel all around the country. Meet people that talk with terrorists in the Philippines. Yeah. Get go and sit where you know they're gonna take your picture on government raids. Yeah. And then build the bomb, coordinate going to the place, whether or not you know an Iraqi. <laughs> All right. Right. Whether or not there is a buddy of yours that's with you and you to do this together and yeah. okay that's also, a lot of confidence also words you know also you're driving he, around with a out of license plate you're like yeah he's not cocky he's not cocky he's smart no except for he he uses his name on the fucking truck of yeah. all things yeah yep. to use your name on which you don't have to it's a rider truck at the time, nobody cared. Yeah, yeah. it's the nineties. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, yeah, take the truck, you know. So like, okay, but you literally put your. You see it? He scratched out his fake name and put. Well, whatever. Maybe his name's not even Timothy McVeigh. Right. <laughs> right. I'm not joking. Yeah. You know, maybe his name's not even Timothy McVeigh. Maybe he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm Timothy McVeigh. Because he literally, on the contract, scratches out. There's like a scratch mark and it says Timothy McVeigh. Yeah. And then you do that, you blow it up, people die, and you drive away with no license plate. Yeah. First of all, why'd you drive away? (laughs) Why didn't you catch a a taxi? Or get on a bus or like walk away you already walked away or just stand across the street holding your head like you're scared you're already gone yep and like there were people that said you know i thought it was weird but you know he kind of looked military so i thought well yeah maybe they're moving into an office i swear to god like one of the one of the people said well maybe maybe he's moving into the office he's going to grab something to eat or something and uh he, he was one of the main eyewitnesses for it. Um, but then when you get, like, get into it, and, you know, my dad is in, was in the military, and he, you know, that comment, I dude, I remember it, like, fucking, what is that, 26 years ago? 
he's just like whatever whatever reason that guy had to do that he was on a mission and Mm -hmm. he made sure he did it and that's always stuck with me because he did man that wasn't like haphazard Mm -hmm. that was directed and is he in witness protection you know I know Terry Nichols you know I think honestly I think probably like I'm going all the way because I think somebody like Terry Nichols is the one that's caught up in it not not McVeigh yeah yeah, McVeigh, McVeigh had a plan, Nichols, and, Nick, and, Mc, right. Nick, and Nichols was, for some reason, this whole entire time I've been doing research on this thing, I cannot stop putting Mick in front of Nichols. I know, McNichols. <laughs> I, keep, I keep doing it. I'm like, McVeigh and McNichols. No, it's just Nichols. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think Nichols was kind of like a patsy. Yeah, I don't think, they always say, like, well, McVeigh like, Or he was like a... Uh, how would you say it? He, he was like a uh, necessary fucking casualty or whatever. He he did collateral damage. Yeah, he was he was just collateral damage. They were like, we don't care what happens to that guy because he doesn't get the death penalty. And you know, this whole thing about the major, him and McVeigh aren't together, right? So they they don't get to talk. Right. They don't. They don't get to write letters to each other. Yeah, and they were just like army buddies. Doesn't that, that's I was a, never. That's I was never in the service, but yeah, right. I mean, like you're buddies with everybody, right? So you're gonna you, say you, that about anybody, and then like, right. I think it's it was easy for him to say, "Who do you know can do this and that?" And he goes, "I used to know a guy I served with, you know," and and mm-hmm. they pull that guy in and then they're like yeah he's expendable that's the word I was looking for I don't know why I couldn't find it and today. maybe they say hey like what do you need like what do you want and he's like a wife yeah. like, here's some money go to the Philippines go to the Philippines you don't work and he's like well you gotta meet these guys anyway so go down there meet these guys and look for some ladies and I kind of am with you about the legislation because there was like I remember at that time um I had seen, like, some material (laughs) about, like, that Michigan militia type of organization. Mm -hmm. It was a magazine, and I I had come across it, and I was reading about it, and, you know, I'm not a gun person. I don't have any. I shouldn't say I don't have any guns. People are going to rob me. (laughs) I have tons of guns. You got so many guns. (laughs) You shouldn't say that either. I'm I'm sitting, on a gun. <laughs> I'm sitting on a gun right now. No, but like, I'm not really like, I, I used to belong to like a firing range and I would do that and it was fun. But like, I get, I get why people get crazy about the gun thing because, you know, you take that away and it's over. Yeah. It really is. All this other shit. Wear a mask, uh, get vaccinated, all that other shit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got to go through TSA, all that other shit. But you take guns away, and it's over. Like the whole American experiment is over. It's just like when they try to take away alcohol. Yeah, well, look how it went with alcohol. I mean, it's imagine worse. what happens with guns. It's worse. 
it's worse with guns because we like we're taught from a very early age that you know you can defend yourself. It's the foundation and, of the United States. So it's it was always it was taught to everybody always that so considered much so, a United States citizen. So much so that when we have like mass killings, we're like that guy's crazy, and like you know other countries have mass killings. They're like we're banning guns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but here we're like that guy's crazy. And yeah. the, you know that that mentality that mentality I'm not saying whether it's right well, or wrong. Well, a lot of those fair a lot of those other countries right now are feeling the repercussions of that because their Agreed. governments are like hey, I'm not saying we're right shutting you all down and they're like okay, what what we do? Right. <laughs> I guess and I'm I, staying I, home and then here they're like we're going to shut y'all down they're like the fuck you are. And I'm not saying that's I'm not saying it's right or wrong. You see that you have to have a little bit of level crazy. It's like what was it? There's a few comedians that have done it. Bill Burr even did a bit on it where he's like, you you know, rednecks are useful. You got to use them. (laughs) Right? They got all the guns, man. (laughs) Instead of sending the 18 year olds to war, yeah, send send the 35 year olds to arm Got all their shit. Send the 35 year olds that are getting divorced. I got some surface to air stuff you haven't even seen, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It, but but it, but in the end, I, I think I think what happened was there was there was a definite plot that uh, I believe that Johnny Davis was on to something and that there was a definite plot that was being financed by that what her sources found to be ties to Saddam Hussein and that there were um consequences of this that benefited several different people in several different ways so they they either suppressed information they halted investigations they changed narratives and it was because they were seeing benefits of it not that they were they were the the creators of this not that they were the orchestrators of this bomb and and were okay with all these people dying they were saying after the fact that I see a benefit for us here. And somebody else is saying, I see a benefit here. So I think then, a lot of things got done wrong because of that. And in the end, it was just this group that wanted to blow shit up and they didn't otherwise, know they were doing people favors. Otherwise, it's dumb fucking luck. Yes. Otherwise, this happened and this became dumb fucking luck that mm-hmm. everything fell into place for everything. Yeah, for like, everything. The whole, the whole homegrown terrorism's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody gets every agency gets what they need yeah. which is you know up all the way up to the president you know and we're still doing it they're still they're still pumping out this right now that the talk is with nothing but white supremacy it's like it's the greatest evil in the country and stuff so they but they're I don't still really, hanging on that I don't still see that. that as a thing it's not. I mean, like, ain't nobody really, trying to get a hold of me for that group. But it's like, well, you know, Dave Chappelle was talking about Jesse Smollett. Yeah. And he's like, and I, he, what's funny is I said this to Stephanie because he was getting, when he got jumped, supposedly, yeah. by right. dudes in, Ma- and, yeah. in MAGA hats. Yeah. They're like, aren't you that Empire N? Yeah. Right. And, and word said, F. From- and I said, and I said what hillbillies watch Empire? <laughs> yes, right. And this is exactly what he said. That's what exactly. Like, they don't and, watch that show. And I point out, like, Steph, he said exactly that. 
Yeah. He's like, we I all was saying it too before that. I was like, who the hell? Is and, and none of it, like he said, none of the shit he said added up, you know? They're like, <laughs> it was like 13 below. <laughs> and he was 3.30 right. in the morning and he was getting Subway. He was like, <laughs> sandwiches? <laughs> and he's like, and these guys jump out and they just happen to be carrying a fucking noose and bleach. But you know what? Okay, on this though, I was watching a, a video, uh, YouTube, um, and it was like a documentary about this. And Phil Donahue, before you know, before he, he's done, he's doing <laughs> an interview, and he's trying to bait these guys from Oklahoma. Yeah, and, and just saying they like lived in the woods. Right. Yeah. So yeah, he asked each one of them. He's like, "No, I live in a house." He's like, I don't know what you mean. I live in the woods. What do you, where's your house? He's like, well, I live on 20 acres. He's like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. He goes, with a house on <laughs> He's like, yeah, I don't live in the woods. He went down each one of them. I saw. I know what you're talking about. He went yeah. Down and each one so going, like, so you live you know, in the woods? You live in the woods? That's sensationalism. Woods? That's sensationalism yeah. that like, there is a problem. He wanted one of them to be like, yeah, I live off the land in the woods. I hunt for what I eat. But that's sensationalism that there is this like, white problem it, it almost like just keeps throwing gas on the fire when in actuality the fight people are making it, money off it the it's fight funny. is against like there is a deep government there is another mm-hmm. i don't care what you say because like they're like just like area 51 where like the president can't get in to inspect certain mm-hmm. projects because he doesn't have clearance True. That shit exists on every level. Yep. And I think Timothy McVeigh, if he's not alive, he did it for money and somebody got a fuck ton of money. Yep. That's what it's I think. So money, I, it's always money. It's always money. Yeah. I That's know. the only if reason it, why it's racist been if, going on lately is because you know, it's made so much money. I mean, it makes so much money. There's people that just all oh, they yeah. do is talk about race and they will come around in like Armani suits and shit to tell you how racist the country is. And it's like, dude, you got more money in your pocket. I do in my whole bank account. You and, know? you know, smart white people won't address it and smart black people won't address it. Like, yeah, because they know that that's what it is. It's sensational so yeah. that you lose your mind and they make ratings. Yeah, because you know this country is supposed to be taking a victory lap. and Right, because honestly, dude, it's like Daniel Tosh said, there's no black Chinese basketball players. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They're all Chinese. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Like, uh, you're the Olympics well, example. He's like, say, he's say like you don't you think want. we're the least racist? He's like, watch the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, like, right. You ever seen the Chinese? Olympic team, one black exclusive person. Chinese bitches. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 the truth though. I mean that's we take on we take on this country takes on more immigrants than any country in the world, and there's and not I, a close second. So what, I will say this one time, you know, well not one time, but living in Los Angeles, like when you meet people from other countries, and then you're in close proximity with them and you're it's late night and you're drinking at the bar. They love to criticize our country. They love to mm, criticize sure. like the hypocrisy of it. Because they're only and, getting those little teeny bits, those little teeny tastes. Right. And you're like, well, yeah, man, it's a work in progress. 
Well, know? there's like, there's like, no, like if you're like, like you can attest to this. Like, could you even compare like L.A. to like Cincinnati? No, it's too. It's, so you know what I mean? So okay, like, like my fantasy football, <laughs> my California fantasy football league. My roommate's Vietnamese. Okay, my other roommate's white. He's the whitest guy on earth. My, the other dude's from Jamaica. The one guy, uh, Mario's from Mexico. Um, the other dude is Armenian. And then his brother-in-law is my roommate's brother. He's Vietnamese. <laughs> right. So, like, so like, and the, and the other guy is Guatemalan and white. Right. This, I mean, it's just so like, like it's one of those I things mean, they like, see. They see these these things that come out from specific like cities, and they have no idea that that is like some of the stories that are like that they would see that would cause them to be like bag America. It's like, dude, that shit is so far disconnected from where I am at and the way that we live that it's it might as well be two different countries. Because the only thing that some of these states have in common is that they speak English. It's like, right. li- like literally the only thing that's in common with each other because everything else is so out of whack. It's like, so when you see these stats that come out, it's, it's like, uh, even with like the gun violence, honestly, man, there is like about five major cities that if you just took them out of the United States, we'd be like one of the safest in the world. Right. And the part of this, you just have, <laughs> you have like so a lot many, of happening in like, you have a so many people living on top of each other. Sure. And like, you know, whatever, like what, what for whatever reason, there's gun violence, whatever. And fine. We've always been that We're all, We're the wild west. Mm-hmm. But like with him, Timothy McVeigh, something happened on a government level, not on his level. There is something else at work there. I think there is a conspiracy and I just don't, I can't really put my finger on exactly what it is, but I think you're right when you say it's probably a combination of everything because otherwise it really is dumb luck because a that, lot no, of that people like the white supremacist groups that are in the that, that have existed in this country that have come and gone or ones yeah. that get labeled that way they have never pulled off anything no. extra elaborate it's like no, you always they, <coughs> the there was might though. be true with those people they might just be dumb fucking rednecks but have you ever seen shit because they've never been influenced by anything other than their neighbor and have you ever seen like a 60 minutes where they go to like infiltrate like a, or they like like a Michigan militia type okay right yeah they're yeah. just a bunch of fat old dudes right they shout bar- stuff and then go they, home right they can barely hold it right yeah, you compare that stupid. to like you compare that like, to like dudes out of boot camp yeah. that are fucking trimmed out <laughs> they're fucking weapons pointed and yeah. they're fucking right now. Those guys are fucking. Yeah, they're and they not even close. And it's and it's not like there's a difference. These 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 aren't like the fucking white supremacist groups. You hardly see them as like these entrepreneurial groups that have like unlimited financing. So hey, listen, it, it's it, it goes it goes the other way too. Like Martin Luther King was he was he had a whole file on him from the FBI. And the Black Panthers, and so the Crips, the Crips and the Bloods were, a lot of people don't know this, they were developed 
to stop the police violence against black people. A lot of people don't realize that's exactly what they... It's mutated since then, but originally, that's what they were for. But even Martin Luther King, with his nonviolence, you know, he had, like, a huge FBI... So it's not just white separatists. It's also, you know, it's also every every race trying to make themselves, you know, establish themselves as citizens, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, they feel slighted and whatever, and you're allowed to do that in the United States, sort of. All right, well, what if, what if, what if Martin Luther King and the Black Panthers get together with the KKK and the Michigan militia, and they're like, Fuck those guys. Yeah. And that's the problem. That's what it is. That's why, that's where I think Timothy McVeigh fits in is that they're like, when, when they're looking at it from a greater standpoint, they're like, okay, well, yeah, yeah, they're just like these fat guys that have guns. Once I saw a guy go, you know what? If they, if we realize that the white people have all the, Assault and hunting rifles, and then all the all the uh, fully automatic weapons. All the black people have them. He's like, he's like, he's like, we can get together. He goes in in the Mexican. Right. You guys, you guys can come. You bring them machetes and food. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll take this motherfucker back. They're way more badass than all of us combined. Right. <laughs> they own their whole country. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's what it is. It's like, well, maybe like. Yes, yeah, for separation. They want, they want, for they, want sure, people, they want people to hate each other. They They're, do not want, they do not want Michigan militia getting with. Black that's Panthers. why they're always separating us into groups. I mean, with they'll break cartels. us down into the, the, the smallest, dumbest groups you ever heard. When you know it, when voting comes around and they're like, uh, white, uh, uneducated or uncollege, non-college white, right, uh, suburban women. Like, what the fuck is that? Right, like, is that a group? Was they do they get together? Yeah, a lot of box wine. Yeah. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? A lot, right? a lot of. Why are you fronts, breaking them yeah. down into this, a lot of like, fronts, little teeny yeah. tiny groups, and they they just keep trying to do this? Because uh, you know, separation. You, the reason is because that's how our country was founded. There were elected people that the that the the throne put in power, mm-hmm. and then we had Freemasonry, and Freemasonry literally started the revolution. Mm-hmm. So, like, what if that evolves again? And that is scary because mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the people have like, you know, are able to stand on their own. And then if people are able to stand on their own, then everybody in power who's getting that meal ticket, it's gone. You and know? I think it's, I think people started waking up recently. And no, like, I do. I think they started. And, and, I think and, it and started so all this stuff 90s. started happening. Like out I really, of nowhere. I really think it started in the nineties. And then it's it kind of got curtailed because like you know they're like whoa SmackDown yeah because I I swear I, I I like even going back and like watching stuff in like the civil rights movement I haven't heard the terms racist racism and white supremacy more in my life than, than I right have now in recent years I mean right. very recent years and it's like how the hell are we going backwards stop trying to fucking bullshit us you know? and you know what dude I don't hate black people I and mean, you don't either 
I know. Like, what the fuck is? What, I, why did? What, like I hate. Like we. I hate people as a, for uh, for who I, that person is. I, I, just, I hate you individually. <laughs> I'm not gonna, yeah, yeah. You got a lot more going for you than just a skin color. I can hate you for all kinds of fucking reasons. But like as a white guy, right? You. you that's like the last thing you want to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you really, go. you like go out of your way. Get in here! Give me here! Give me a <laughs> right. Well, that's that's hug. and that's what they that's what they that's what like they bank on, and, and that's why it is. It's like if, <laughs> if they disagree with somebody, just call them that, call them racist because right. that, that right. discredits them and totally. And and then you don't have to listen to them anymore. Totally. It's like that's just so stupid. Just quit quit trying to send us. Yeah, backwards. but that's that's what. That's but there's so many people the making money does. off of it, and it's not going to stop because the the government. They, they remain in power because of it and then there's the people that peddle it that are making a fortune off of it so i mean yeah, that's absolute what, fortune it, off of it some like, of these groups and stuff are just making getting money in hand over fist and like i started this off thinking that timothy mcveigh was like a freedom fighter yeah and right. I, I ended thinking he's part of the system yeah and that sucks I think he's. I think he was double dipping. I think he was too. I think he kind of played both sides, mm-hmm. and there's no way he didn't get money. There's yeah. just no way. Like I said, the license plate. drive away without a license plate. You don't do that, man. You just don't do it. You, They're like, you got to get caught afterwards. He's like, like that's there's easy. So many things you could do. You go to a homeless shelter. Yeah, you, you go, could. You can do all kinds of stuff. You yeah. do all. You need no like. You get in that fucking pickup truck that <laughs> the other two guys were driving away in. Right. You with, but he uh, had to get I'll caught. I think he had to get caught. So I agree. That could save the storyline. And and it's so funny because people bite it. Every like podcast I listen to, every YouTube, they're like, he's so dumb. He didn't have a license plate. I'm like, was he? Yeah, I don't think it was dumb. I think it was intentional. And I It was think, totally intentional. I think that there's a chance, too, that he, they told him that they weren't going to kill him. And that they were going to save him and blah, blah, blah. And then they cut loose ends and they just let him go ahead and get lethally injected. And he didn't really know any better. That There's a possibility for that for me, too. Totally. That they just oh, I, oh, yeah. And Because yeah, Nichols yeah. got played. He didn't know that he was getting played. And McVeigh was on to it. So and he just why let him is, get killed. And, you know, Terry Nichols, why is he so quiet? You know, he, you know and then there's this major... That they, there's this major guy that like you know is kind of like the head that that's all you know about him, mm-hmm. and like Terry Nichols is like deathly afraid of <laughs> naming anyone else because right. they'll kill his family. Like yeah, that's a, that's real. He said dude. that, and he said there was a lot of other people involved, and that's why I kind of think he was like a fall guy. Mm-hmm. I think Terry Nichols is a fall guy. I think McVeigh knew what he was doing and, and Nichols either, was one of those guys just like he was kind of like the, the Bob Lazar he knows what he's doing and we can destroy him if he's talking you know yeah and I, I that that makes total sense to me he's a desperate man looking for a wife right yeah let's send him to the Philippines yeah, yeah they played him all right so, I think we wrapped it up yeah I think it's I think that's it man shit it's, it's got a lot of moving parts, but man, it's, it's got a moving a lot of moving parts, but it's also like it's also s- sort of disheartening. And if anybody anybody that's listening that wants to go back and double check on, I, I suggest you look into this John Jonna Davis 
And yep. the things she's found, she's done several in- interviews, and they're they're all pretty interesting. Listen um, to Timothy McVeigh. Also, listen to Timothy McVeigh's interview. The sixty minutes one. Yeah, when he and his interrogation, because mm-hmm. it's very telling of how calm that guy is, how yeah. like chill yes. and. He was confident in the outcome he knew, that was happening. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yep. He, that wasn't by accident. And that's why, you know, I, I, I feel the way I do. And you do, you know, the way you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look at all the other evidence, too, of all the stuff that was housed at that Mora building that all of a sudden is not like an issue anymore. And what did it cost? What did it cost the government? Eight million dollars to Randy Weaver. Right, right, <laughs> all right. And a couple bullets. And a couple. Oh God damn it! <laughs> sorry, you had to throw that. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to edit that. <laughs> but we'll both probably be dead. Pay your pay your life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm Anthony. I'm Brandon. And this is Everything That's Weird.